This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Happy Monday. Mondays can be happy. Well, especially happy. It's, you know, four in the afternoon. You're almost done with work. Sandy Clough on my left. Chandro Tar here with you on Mile High Sports. Thanks for joining us. The Denver Broncos in their second preseason game. Uh, look, well, it looks kind of like the first. They lose by one. At the very end, the uh, win probability chart. I know Sandy likes those things. Um, somewhat entertaining looking with the Broncos holding I, a... I'm not um, so crazy about those numbers in the preseason. 92.1% chance of winning with uh, five minutes left. And then, of course... Uh, if uh, if that's the regular season, that's... Losing a, the game. That's a, that's a big deal. That's a blown game. Anytime within the last five minutes of the game that you're more than 90% likely to win and you don't win... Uh, it's a reminder that uh, the Broncos have blown, I believe, over the last six years, 21 games in which they had fourth quarter leads. Now, that is not the worst figure uh, in the NFL. Which is I believe that's... Still the phrase charging plus a year initiated <laughs> right. with uh, the idea that not only this year, but going all the way back to Dan Fouts, the Chargers had a certain proclivity for playing games in the fourth quarter. I'm sorry, I'm incorrect. Actually, it's Indy. Okay. Uh, 2016 through 2022. Teams losing when leading in the fourth quarter. It's happened to the Colts 24 times. Ooh. It's the Chargers who are at 21, and the Broncos have blown 16 games, okay. uh, a great many, if not more than half, under Uncle Vic Fangio, who had a special flair for mismanaging game clock situations. They, of course, lost some last year. Uh, we can mm, remember most all well of know, them yeah. the, uh, on the basis of it having happened recently. Uh, happened a little bit with Vance Joseph. Uh, not, not much in 16 with Gary Kubiak, but the game that I will forever believe changed the course of recent Bronco history uh, from at least a playoff appearance again in 2016 to the d- disaster we've witnessed over the past ever since six seasons plus six games, the final six games of 2016. This is a period where, uh, as of uh, about 10 days ago, the Colorado Rockies had a better winning percentage this That's year unreal. than the Denver Broncos had over the last uh, six years and change. Uh, uh, the Broncos, in fact, significantly lower uh, as as a matter of winning percentage. Uh, I don't know if that's true now because even though the Rockies took two of three, they're, they're back on a uh, – they're not exactly this is weird they're not exactly on a 99 loss pace but they have to win a higher percentage of their remaining yeah, games than they're on than now. they're on now with their winning percentage so it's it's a little, a little weird. Strange. 99 to 100 losses that's the pace they're on right now but in any case uh, with the Broncos I, I'm still believing that 16 fourth quarter leads is a lot of leads it's blow a over a seven-year period. And, you know, you're not going to win all 
the games in which you have a fourth quarter lead. No. I mean, yeah, might have a lead with 14 minutes, 59 seconds to and go in a game. Presumably. And, and lose the game. You might be leading yeah, by one. You'll and be lose on the, the other game. side and, and steal from someone else, right. too. Yeah. But, but, but I'm saying, uh, it, it, and I didn't break it down with any of these three teams on the basis of how big the leads were. Were they five points or more? Were they... Uh, yeah. one score or more. But you had a lead in the fourth. Uh, you know, but you had a fourth quarter lead and you lost the game. And actually, I thought the Broncos played a lot better uh, the other night than they did in their first I game. I did too. Uh, to show that at least in preseason stats, the individual stats don't mean anything. If you just looked at stats, you'd think Russell Wilson was the worst quarterback on the field because that's by far what the stats say he was. Three for six, in, 24 in, yards. In point of fact, he, he was fine. I thought much, much better. And again, not because of numbers, but because of comfort level. And he got out and ran for 25 yards. Actually, he ran for more yards than he passed for. Um, the surprise, of course, was that he was yanked after one series. So uh, for somebody who is saying he's doing things completely differently, than the previous coach uh, did them. Uh, I suppose 20 snaps in the first game was a lot more than zero throughout the preseason last year. But I'm like, what was the point? Because he's not going to play in the final one. He's not going to play in the final game. Right. What was the point in even playing him uh, the other night? And I thought it actually made more sense to leave Javante Williams in since he was doing more pass catching than ball carrying. I've, that made more sense than taking Wilson out after a series. I know they got a field goal, but you'd, you'd think, you know, San Francisco left its first defense in. Uh, why are they yanking Wilson after uh, a handful of plays? That didn't make a lot of sense to me. But, again, it's the preseason, and if things don't make sense, uh, it it really doesn't count in terms of the standings. But I thought they, they played a lot better, and I thought there were four definite, pluses in the game uh won the kicking game uh three turnovers forced by the broncos uh, wilson looking more dynamic uh pass protection was not great but it was a hell of a lot better it was, than it was in the first against, game against better competition and there were no turnovers committed by the broncos mm-hmm. in the game so i i mean you can combine a couple of things but i but whether you count those as four factors or five factors, I think there were uh, several pluses uh, for the Broncos. Uh, there were some minuses, too. Uh, I'd like to wait for Rick Perea uh, to get into some of that because, again, uh, some of the minuses involved uh, performance. And uh, yet uh, my big minus goes to body language and demeanor uh, on the part of uh, one of the coordinators. And I don't uh-huh. think it takes a genius to come that, up that's with funny the coordinator. Because I I'm was, was going to ask you. The same guy he was here. I was going to uh, ask you a little bit before. watching that lead dissolve. I mean, he, he's a basket case. Watching Vance Joseph sort of case. look uh, helpless and, and, and to and stop def- what was happening. Well, no, you didn't look helpless. You looked frantic. Yeah absolutely frantic out of his mind, screaming into the headset, completely disheveled. And the same Vance Joseph, we all remember. I think he was working out with the guys. Who Bill Bryan referred to on national TV as a total idiot. 
And and he he acted like one the other night. And Vance Joseph is a very nice man, but I'm sorry, he's not a football coach. He's just not. Uh, he he's far too frantic, and that uh, that carries over on the field. They were completely disorganized uh, at the end of the game. But again, we'll get into that with Rick Perea uh, more later on. I actually thought that uh, that the pluses were stronger than the minuses were. I agree. I, I, I look at the end of the game, and I, I get it. The Broncos lost, and they give up an eight-point lead. But the people that were in the uh, the majority of them are not going to be on this team at all. Right. And so I think you have to take that into account and realize that when threes and fours are better than other threes and fours, most of these guys aren't making a team anyway. It, it's, it doesn't actually matter. And let, for, let me add a plus. Except for the part there, I think, with you pointed yeah. out with uh, Joseph, which and I I'll noted, add- too, I'm like, Boy, yeah. it's it's he's out of control. At a certain point, yeah, like, he's it's just a out preseason of game, and a head and coach it, has got to get to you. So you can't act like that. You can't act like that. It's a preseason game. I, even even I, the, I don't care. I, it, it's worse in the regular season. I guarantee you, he'll do it. The end of the, the first half with Jalen End of the first half, Jalen Virgil suffered the injury. The Broncos were trying to get out and and thought they probably should have had a second where they could have had a play. And the, it indicates they probably should have. Uh, Sean Payton said a couple words on the way out. Well, that's okay. Because it's preseason. No, but that's what I mean. It's preseason and whatever, right? He he made his point. I'm saying this this is ongoing behavior by this guy. And the same thing happened in Arizona at the end of the game, too. Absolutely frantic, yelling and screaming, waving his arms around, looking completely. I I mean, I, I don't know anything about coordinating the defense. But I wouldn't be that out of control. I would think that, I, and my players might look at me and say, yeah. this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, all he's doing is yelling. And, I, you know, I, he's supposed to be telling us what to do. And Can you think all, of all any coaches is, is losing. And I, I'm, I'm just going to talk about head coaches because I know coordinators would have. But head coaches. Do you know of any other head coaches? I'm trying to think that are at least the ones that are really good that are hyper when, when when things get tough that are hyper animated that are they're pacing along the sidelines that are waving their arms not up and football down. coaches i mean not anymore. And, and andy reed stands there uh bill yeah. belichick stands yeah. there yeah. um the the great i mean i guess uh pete carroll i guess as much as anybody was somewhat animated but, he's, I, but I he doesn't know, look but there's a difference still between animation and calm and being frantic I think and it's fair to be the out right of word because the, the, it's, the coaches, different thing. Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, I'm like when do these guys ever look like they don't they don't have it? They're like okay, you know that there's they a just lost there. their minds. I, I mean they they don't do that. No, they they don't behave that way. I, obvious plus that I missed McLaughlin and Garcia. Right. Again, and guys that we night. talked about, we wanted to see yeah. them move up so and they moved a, up. That's a definite plus. Uh, Garcia, had, uh, again, making some some noise. And the, a couple other things I want to pull away from there, too. I thought Drew Sanders looked uh, pretty effective in the linebacker role. And again, um, Zach Allen looked like the guy that we've seen all, all camp. Uh, he looked like m- maybe the Broncos' best player consistently, game in, game out. Uh, he looks really good. And give credit to Jonathan Cooper, who, by the way, also the former seventh-round pick, who probably would have been a third-round pick, but had the heart ailment, they had the ablation uh, prior to his rookie season beginning with the Broncos. Uh, looks like a guy that was a low second, early third-round pick, where a lot of people thought he might have been coming out of Ohio State. Uh, the Broncos may have found one there. I think we've seen that, but 
boy, Cooper, Cooper and Allen, when they were in, both of those guys were wreaking havoc on every play, even when they did not make the tackle. We're wondering where the pass rush is coming from. We're wondering where the disruption is coming from. And uh, it, it might be in a bit from those two guys. I, I think that's a really good sign, especially because the Broncos, uh, I understand they they have Frank Clark. I understand they have Randy Gregory. Those guys are not here for long. They're not going to be here when the Broncos turn it around. That's going to be need and, to be Nick Benito and Jonathan Cooper and Baron Browning. Right. That's who it needs but, to be, and you're seeing yeah. it with Cooper. Uh, Vance Joseph's issues aside, Clark was playing in the fourth quarter. Gregory played through three quarters. Mm-hmm. Benito played into the fourth quarter, and I wasn't impressed with any of the three. Uh, really grand total of three tackles between all of them. I mean, that was it. So it's um, it was interesting to see them playing that late. Uh, Gregory did have uh, a sack, obviously, but otherwise, you know, that was his only tackle. Mixing and matching, and I suppose if I'm going to play a little devil's advocate there, I, I saw the same thing with Vance Joseph, and I was a little surprised by how frantic he appeared. But I do get the fact that, yeah, you had some of your players in pretty late. It, 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 it felt like that shouldn't have happened, and I get the frustration. But it is, and it is the preseason, and I'm not going to put too much on it, but you do have a, a defensive coordinator that, unlike his head coach, appears to be prone to big emotional outbursts. And I'm not saying that emotion is wrong, but I'm saying that when you uh, when you appear to your players to not be in control, it does yeah. trickle down. I think so. And it's not being emotional or not being emotional. There are plenty of coaches that are very emotional and plenty of coaches that aren't, and they both can have equal success. It is the sort of uh, stability that that you're showing on the sideline, the, uh, and, it, and it equates essentially to confidence, right? There, there Confident are coaches don't look frantic. There are elements of this team that remain poorly coached, in in my opinion. And I don't think it's as widespread as it was last year, where there seemed to be poor coaching going on across the board. I'm not saying it's like that. And, you know, it is it is the preseason, and nobody was questioning, what were they, 2-1 and one last year? Right. Um, people should have been questioning the practices more than they were, but in the games, I mean, they weren't great they didn't count for anything but they did win two out of three so the fact that they lost the other night doesn't bother me i'd rather even as much as losing arizona did and i'd rather lose losing losing arizona Arizona. it's an exhibition game yeah Uh, so it 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 really doesn't matter but 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 again uh those of you who are inclined to just look at stats uh you know, unless it's a McLaughlin, uh, you know, who returned uh, a kickoff, that a, a couple bobbly, of kickoffs for 44. I know yeah, he bobbled. He bobbled but, one, but one, but uh, seven carries, 145 yard, uh, seven carries, 45 yards. He wasn't that good, and one touchdown. Uh, but also uh, catching two passes mm-hmm. for eight yards, and one went for a touchdown. Uh, was only targeted twice, caught both passes. Um, and I, I, I thought Williams return was okay. Understandably dropping the first pass. That's no mm-hmm. big deal. He's, he hasn't played in, you know, almost 11 months. So that, that, that was fine. And I, I thought he, he looked good and they can sit him 
for this coming game. Maybe use him in the joint practices a little bit with the ones, and he'll be fine for opening day. By the way, uh, joint practices with the Rams coming in this week. Uh, Aaron Donald will not be with the Rams. His wife is due to uh, give birth at just about any time. So Aaron Donald, well, one, congratulations. Two, will not uh, be traveling. That's a uh, good news if you're Denver Broncos offensive lineman, to be sure. Uh, you don't have to deal with that guy. I don't even care how many times you have to bother with him. But, uh, you know, I don't know that Aaron Donald goes full speed in training camp. Though. I don't, I don't I, that, either, that's not but I also am not convinced that Aaron Donald needs to go full strength no, to still no, get no, the Broncos no, line problem. I don't mean problem. that as a no. I don't, <laughs> he's he's, he's yeah, that good. Half right. speed Aaron Donald right. is still a right. problem for well, just about everybody else. The Bronco offensive line remains a problem. Ben Powers was almost as bad the other night as he was. He gave up a sack. Again, this is a guard who's giving up sacks in each of the first uh, two games and, and clearly is not a good pass blocker and – you know, I, I I thought again the pass protection overall was uh, better, but uh, again, in spite of the fact that on passer rating he did the best, I thought the worst quarterback on the field, in fact, for either team, is Jared Stidham, and I, you know, sacked a couple of times, had a fumble uh, so but recovered it at least, fumbled his, yep. uh, uh, fumbled again, and. Yeah, 12 for 17 for 130, but uh, I was not, again, impressed. And uh, Danucci wasn't in there enough. Uh, I mean, he threw seven passes like Wilson, three for seven for 13. Um, did throw for a touchdown. And uh, I'm, I'm not saying that there is or even that there should be, but if there happened to be a competition that was based – at all on the first two games for the backup quarterback slot, I'd take Danucci over Stidham. Yeah. And but obviously it's that's based not going to happen. It's, right. it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I'm just saying if it were based on any uh, serious evaluation but of the first two games, are you suggesting we which is not, with, uh, the Stidham is, is ready to replace Russell Wilson's now? Well, which we only never the said head here. coach, only the head right. coach said that or even hinted, hinted, hinted at it. Uh, not so much. Nobody in the media ever did. Anymore. So I don't know how this has gotten pinned on people like us. Oh, well, we, we were never, raving. We've never it was it. The, we were quoting the coach. But I guess when you quote the coach, some people say, "Well, you're not really quoting the coach. You're injecting your well, opinion we'll and making up what the coach said." Quotes from the coach, as well as Russell Wilson later in the program. But we, uh, it is Monday. We like to t- check on mental health on Mondays. Mental health Mondays with Doctor Rick Pre. Get the uh, checkup from the neck up. We will do that next on Miley Sports. Shades of gold is played naturally You ought to know what brings me here Glide through my headline to fear And I know Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. It is a Monday, so it's a Mental Health Monday. Welcome back. And as always, from Think14U.org, our friend Dr. Rick Perea, working with the champion Denver Broncos. The last time they won, you know, a playoff game. They're trying to get that uh, again. Joins us for the checkup from the neck up every Monday. Doctor, thank you for joining us. My, my first question would be about the, some of the ideas that, Javante Williams playing this game. There was some thought that maybe that's an unnecessary risk, all of that. 
Uh, what I had thought is, yes, it may be an unnecessary risk, but I wondered if playing in this game was less about the Denver Broncos and more about Javante Williams getting his comfort mm-hmm. back. And when he dropped the very first pass attempt, I literally watched that. And the person I was watching with, I said, good. He got it out of his system. That was the nervousness that he needed to get out. That's why he's playing tonight. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, guys, on uh, Mental Monday, where you get your checkup from the neck up. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, there's, again, we've defined it many times here. There's the autonomic nervous system, and that's really what regulates stress and anxiety for these athletes. There's a sympathetic and parasympathetic side. And when you're on the sympathetic side, that's stress and anxiety. And if you don't bleed that off, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a methodology of how to bleed that off, you will stay in that sympathetic side and your hands will be stiffer. Your thinking will be not as clear. Um, So, yeah, it it is good that he gets it out of the way. But there's even a better way to not drop it in the first place by regulating anxiety from from jumps. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting in this preseason. You know, there's a lot of people and not him that is, are fighting for jobs, but if they don't regulate their anxiety, they don't get their checkup from the neck up, they will not be able to deploy the neck down come the regular season. Let me ask you about two guys who seem to be doing that. One is McLaughlin, who's looked terrific as a possible third running back, even if they only keep three. I think he makes Impossible. the 53-man yeah. roster right now. Great. And, and the other is the Garcia kid who had two sacks and three plays and the Arizona game and had a pick the other night. Yeah. And looks outstanding. Yeah. And got more run the other night. I thought he was out there earlier. Mm-hmm. The he other was. Night he, he was. Had been, he was out uh, against Arizona. Unit. Those are two guys who are both fighting for jobs. Right. At least on the 53 man roster. And both seem to be regulating their emotions quite effectively. Yeah. And another thing that can happen with young blood is players are um, really functioning on the on the parasympathetic side because they're they're too ignorant to understand what's really at stake here and they just play football. You know, a lot of times when you just play football, you're able to regulate yourself and operate on that parasympathetic side. It's the guys who sit there and think and ponder and ruminate and rumination means go over and over and over the same thoughts that really get themselves on the sympathetic side, which is stress and anxiety. So sometimes young blood play well, really well early. And then what can happen is let's say they get elevated, they make the team, and then people start saying, oh, shoot, you know, you got to perform because we're going to rely on you. Then they start overthinking and ruminating, and all of a sudden they're on the sympathetic side. So, yeah, sometimes the young blood are so ignorant that they're just still <laughs> playing football and don't realize Wait, there's a whole mental side to this. Which is what coaches want you to do in the preseason. I mean, he just play. had that yeah. much anxiety for McLaughlin because the first game, the Broncos didn't spell his name right in his first <laughs> NFL appearance, and he still kept it back of his jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, th- I think when you run into that, it is it's it, that's and that's a good point because right now the the expectations are different, right? And that means as you go along as a rookie and even as a veteran in your career, as the expectations change, well, you have to do changes too. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, we have to learn to shape our thoughts, or else our thoughts will shape us, and that's what happens in everyday society. I don't care if you're a surgeon, an astronaut, a talk show host, or a, a pro football player. If we do not shape our thoughts, they will shape us. The average human being has 45,000 thoughts a day. And I'll repeat that. Average human being has 45,000 thoughts a day. Up to 75% of those thoughts are self-doubt slash negative. So if we don't have a methodology to regulate that, to combat that, we're going to be thinking a lot of self-doubt thoughts. And that's why a lot of these players get on that sympathetic, that negative side, because they're bombarded with so many thoughts that 
could I get cut? Am I going to get cut? Will I make this team? I'm fourth on the depth chart. They're only going to keep three. All these negative thoughts and as opposed to just filtering that out right. and playing football like they did when they were 9, 10, 11 years old. Coming into this preseason, of course, that there's a lot to take a look at for the Broncos and when you're talking about the cultural shift mm-hmm. that they're trying to change the way they handle everything top to bottom and the expectations are based on, you know, there's a timeliness. There's a very specific way. No, no taking off your jerseys, no taking off your pads, all those sort of things, trying to create that, that kind of culture. You watch the Broncos and, you know, Russell Wilson's walking across the field. He's still got his shoulder pads on. He's ready to go. The expectations that builds for a team, the presumption is it builds a professionalism and a focus uh, it, historically, does it actually do that? Is that what it's building, or is it more the idea that we're all doing the same thing all the time? Yeah, well, here's here's the sad truth, Sean, is that only about five teams in the NFL really understand how to shape culture. They think they do. But really what they're doing is they're setting accountability, discipline, and structure. And that's good. That's a first step. You know, this weekend I had a speaking engagement up in Vail for a law firm. And I don't go in front of that law firm and talk to them about law, how to practice law, but I teach them how to set culture because they're not trained to do it. Well, guess what? Sean Payton's not trained how to set culture. I mean, so many of these coaches think they know how to set culture. No, they know how to set accountability, structure, and discipline, which is a step in culture, but it's not a culture by design. It's a culture by default. And so many teams that have a culture by default They're relying on football, Sean. They're relying on what they were taught, what they grew up learning. In pro sports, it's the only industry that I've ever been involved with. And you know, Sandy, you've been around me a lot of years. I do a lot of work in the corporate world. But pro sports is the only industry that doesn't seek out professional development on an ongoing basis. They won't send their coaches to professional development, communication skills training, leadership skills training, because they oftentimes think, coaches don't even want to go. Well, I know, but they don't. But they don't understand what they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And the people like the Googles and the Apples that seek out professional development, it helps them in their overall yeah. organization. So this law firm that I spoke to on Saturday. I didn't talk to him about how to how to practice law, but I talked to him about a culture by design, not a culture by default. And I think so many teams miss the boat with that the lack of culture by design. So even though he's setting the culture, the structure, the accountability, and and the structure and discipline, he still doesn't understand. He's not an organizational performance expert. Let's be honest. He's a football coach. <laughs> In 20 years from now, Sean and Sandy, more teams will hire external consultants that are experts in organizational professional development to help these teams get where they need to be. I want to ask you about Vance Joseph, a person you know very well, been uh, very close to for a long time. Yes, sir. Um, I don't know Vance, obviously, uh, nearly as well as you do, uh, but I've always found him to be a very pleasant and I'm wondering, uh, good a guy as he is and uh, as decent a coordinator as he may very well be, uh, why is he getting so frantic on the sidelines? In each of the first two games at the end, I, I just thought, and this is my unprofessional opinion, that it had something to do with their blowing the two games at the end on the defensive side of the ball, losing the game on defense on the last 
two plays of each of the first two games. Yeah. Well, first, let me state let me state clear as can be. I love VJ. VJ is a great human being. He's a great man. Been around him in Miami and um, a few other places. But you know, yeah, his nonverbal communication on the sidelines says that he is on the sympathetic side, the, the stress and anxiety side. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of over-movement, a lot of rumination that we see. There's two types of anxiety we depict when we watch someone non-verbally, and that's somatic. Somatic is S-O-M-A. That's body. Um, it's a lot of movements, a lot of over-movements, a lot of repetitive movements, and then cognitive, which is thinking, like your thinking is narrowed. You don't think as clearly. And so what I see from VJ is there's a lot of somatic anxiety in terms of the physiological piece. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't call a good game or be a good defensive coordinator. He can. But, you know, my my advice to him would be to slow down a little bit because what happens is, you know, the players, the defensive players will look at him. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Don't players yeah. look at that? Oh, I absolutely. know it's happening on the sidelines yes. and they're supposed to be looking elsewhere. But, I mean, he is calling the defensive signals. And they do look over there, yeah. and they see a calm sideline and one coach who, I'm sorry, seemed to be losing his mind right. at the end of both games. Well, as you know, as you guys know, I work with NFL coaches, and I actually have um, an NFL coach in my office right now who um, was not able to complete preseason with, because of anxiety. So he's in my office right now. So what I want people to understand is coaches do get anxious too. And some of them, that's why they script their first 20 plays is because that's to regulate anxiety. They don't have to make decisions on second and eight, third and four, all these different tendencies. So they have a script and it reduces anxiety for them. But, you know, I think with, with VJ, I think he, he understands defense. He is a good defensive coordinator. He would tell you he's still learning. I mean, you know, on the defensive side of the ball. But I think he's, he, he needs to understand that players are looking at him. And, and we derive energy from other people, you know. Behavior is contagious, and, and good behavior is contagious, negative behavior is contagious, anxiety is contagious. If you've ever been in a room with someone who has a, a social and anxiety disorder, you can literally feel the tension in the room. Conversely, you've been around someone who's very chill and relaxed, you can feel that as well. So I would just encourage him to slow down a little bit, you know, not as much fiddling with his, with his um, power box and not as much fiddling with his headset, and really just relax. Just call the game you know you can call. Because I would say this. He's probably going to call the same game whether he's moving 100 miles right. an hour or 30 miles an hour. He's probably going to call the same game. But just give off that that verbal and also the visual. The visual that the players are looking at and say, man, our guy's in control. He's got this set. And then and everybody can relax and pay, play great defense. Because I'll say this real quickly. It takes 18% more energy to play defense than it does offense. Mm -hmm. So you, our guys on defense got to be relaxed, man, from the neck up so they can perform from the neck down. It, it is kind of interesting to look at that because you're right. And and the idea, some of it, you know, ends up being anxiety, human nature. And sometimes I, I think people do. Uh, I know that there, there are certain coaches, there are certain people in professions that actually even uh, perform a little bit in front of a mirror and try to learn uh, methods in which the, that they control the way they're going to uh, approach things. You said you spoke to lawyers. I know a lot of lawyers do that. They put their they talk in front of a mirror. They make sure their body language is the way they want it to be. That's the kind of stuff that you can do as, as long as you can, like you were mentioning, regulate a little bit and understand why you're doing what you're doing. Then right. you can catch it. Yeah. But it's, it's a matter of first 
isolating it and understanding why you're doing it, right? Right. But you also have to be proactive, Sean, because, you know, in our profession, in the mental enhancement industry, we always tell people, like, don't call us to put out fires. Call us proactively, not reactively. And when tr- when teams, when professional teams in the NFL, for example, are proactive, and so they teach their coaches, they teach their players from a proactive perspective how to regulate anxiety through breathing, visualization, positive scripts, all these things, you train the brain to be regulated when live bullets are flying out there as opposed to, well, we got a player that can't handle you know, their anxiety, so let's get him help. Or we got a coach that can't handle anxiety, let's get him help. No, proactively train it. And that's the thing, as you know, you've been around me a lot of years, Sandy, is I just really preach to these teams the neck up is so important at this level. And if you don't train it proactively, you're 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 <clears throat> you're literally asking for trouble because it, it, it's not when live bullets happen. They're coming. There's hiccups, there's bumps in the road in every NFL season, and those hiccups are coming. And if you're not prepared from the neck up, you are gonna suffer because of that. How did Russell Wilson appear to you the other night? I I thought he was quite a bit better. Even though statistics say he was much worse. Right. Well, again, quantitative versus qualitative assessment. <laughs> the numbers right. say one thing. The You know, he did look a little more calm in the face, his facial structure. He his ran. Eyes. He looked more dynamic. I mean, he, yep. he ran at the right times, and he actually gained more yards rushing than he threw that's four. A, that's a good point, yeah. though. The, the running seemed less of a, a reaction. Oop, okay, this is all I have left, and more of a here's an opportunity. Right. There well, was even one run that was designed, and yeah. actually that was the one that didn't go very well. Right, the other yeah. two were spontaneous, but they weren't panic-provoked. Right. You know, it, it reminds me of 1983 when I was a rookie undrafted free agent with the Broncos, and John Elway was a rookie that year too. And I can remember Dan Reeves and John Hadle, our quarterback coach, continually telling John to stay in the pocket and let the progressions read. John wanted to break pocket because that's what he did at Stanford, you know, made a lot of plays. And I can remember him wanting to do that because John wanted to be John, but Dan wanted him to be a pocket pro NFL quarterback. Russell Wilson just needs to be Russ, and that's the thing that I think a lot of coaches don't understand. Russell Wilson is the very best in the world, I'll repeat, the very best in the world at being Russell Wilson. Let him be him. Let him create plays. Let him go through his progression as he sees fit. Too many coaches try to fit a player into a scheme that's just not the right fit for them. And I think Russell has been – that's happened to him for here uh, last year and a half. So let him be Russ because he's in the best of the world at doing that. Well, the idea of how to coach Russell Wilson into a new type of offense, that requires more than just the football side of it too. We'll talk more about that with Dr. Rick Brandt next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Dr. Rick Fred, kind enough to stick around for another segment with us. Think one for you. The number four dot org is the website. And uh, we, we, when we went to break, talking a little bit about the idea of Russell Wilson. And Sandy talked about it at the beginning of the program, and I think he's right. Uh, Russell Wilson looked more comfortable in the offense this week, even in a limited amount of time, than he did last week. 
And now that we're seeing some improvement, and I think you're seeing a clear effort by Russell Wilson to attempt to do what he's being asked to do, that all bodes pretty well, right? But what's the what's the next step for Wilson to get where the coaches want him to be? And in, in Joe Lombardi, the offensive coordinator's case, make sure he's not breaking the pocket too early, even though Wilson's understandable instinct is to create because that's what's given him success his whole career. Right. Well, we have a term in psychology that's called reciprocal determinism. And what that means is one factor influences the other. Coach influences player, player influences coach. Russell Wilson has always been a, a dual threat guy. I mean, let's be honest. He's never sat in the pocket through <laughs> his reads and reads and reads and then throws the ball down the field. He is a dual threat guy. And that's where he's made his his bread. He, 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 for him to be successful, he needs to bring that still into play. What happens is, is OCs, quarterback coaches, head coaches, they have a scheme that they want him to fit into. And I've seen it time and time again. It happened to A.J. McCarron in Cincinnati. He, he, you know, he got his wings trimmed so much that he wasn't the swashbuckling guy that he was at Alabama. We have got to learn to let our players play, let our quarterbacks play. So many OCs, so many quarterback coaches, and I've been in these rooms, guys. I've heard this conversations. They limit a player's ability to ad lib because they want him to play the game. They want him to play, go through the reads and progression. They want him because they think that that's how they learn to coach football. They learn to coach football in a read progression manner as opposed to saying, you know what? This kid can make plays. He can make plays with his feet. He can make plays with his arm. Let's allow him to make the plays. Obviously, there's a play call. You have to go through, you know, your blocking scheme has to fit your protections. Your protections have to fit your personnel groupings. Your groupings have to fit the play. I get it. But at the same time, when you got a dual threat quarterback, your schema from the OC and the head guy better fit that guy's dual threat possibilities because if it doesn't, it's going to be like putting a square peg in a round hole. And Andy Reid has never tried to do that with Patrick Mahomes. There you he's go. He's never put limitations there on you him. Go. He's never put a lot of structure around him. It, increasingly, he's come to trust him. And I was reading a piece over the weekend. I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, players, both former and current, swear that Andy Reid runs a training camp that is by far the hardest in the NFL. Andy Reid is like most players, from what I hear. Players hate joint practices. Don't like them. <laughs> right. That's why they fight all the time. Yeah. That it, it, I mean, that's part of the psyche, too. If you don't like something, right. there's conflict almost built into the exercise. Players hate joint practices. Yeah. Don't like them. Andy Reid is the only coach I've heard of who says, I even feel more strongly than players do. And the Kansas City Chiefs are the only team in the NFL that doesn't do, and as long as Andy Reid's the coach, will never do joint practices. Right. And he plays Patrick Mahomes in preseason games. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, it, it's there's all this stuff there, but he's training them. And it, it, it isn't one size has to fit all. It's tough on everybody. And it's a little bit of the Lombardi theory of fatigue makes cowards of us all. And when other teams are getting uptight or tired in December or reacting to the cold weather, the Chiefs have been through that kind of physical stress, yes, but psychological stress, too. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He has that reputation of 
hold them in accountable structure and discipline. But I, I want to address something you just said a minute ago about Patrick Mahomes. How many times have you seen Patrick Mahomes sprint out right and throw across his body, throw across the field, and make big plays it, You know, to different receivers? You know, And that's a no-no in the NFL. Right. An OC, a head coach, a quarterback coach oh, they, would say – they're throwing their headsets yeah, around. You can't throw across your body. You can't throw across the field because there's too much time. The ball's in the air too long, and too many safeties are going to recover and make that pick. But he makes big plays that way. They allow Patrick Mahomes to be Patrick Mahomes, and that's the difference. So when you trim a quarterback's wings, you don't just trim them physiologically. You trim them emotionally and psychologically. And once they get that self-doubt in their head – it's really – you can see it physically. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Russell Wilson has not looked right facially and nonverbally since he's been here. Just recently, this last week, yeah. he started to look like the he old lo- guy. He looked like more of the old guy and Saturday uh, night, as brief as the appearance was. He's gotten his wings trimmed yeah. too much in this last year and a half. They need him to just let him be – the dual threat guy that he is. Now, oddly about that, though, we're talking with Dr. Rick Brea, by the way. I think one for you.org is the website. Russell Wilson was more or less not coached under Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, they just sort of let him do what he did. So the only person, you know, that proverbially clipped his wings would have been himself. But oddly, the whole idea was he comes to Denver uh, out of the frustration with Seattle of them not letting Russ cook and letting him do what he wants. The Broncos and Hackett essentially let him do whatever he wanted, and it led to the worst season of his career by far. In fact, as as bad a season as anyone could have imagined, given the fact his career path to that point. So, but there were advisors around him telling him all kinds of different right. Stuff. So, so is that what it is? Was is it a matter of simplifying? Around in circles. Is exactly. it simplifying? Is it getting your advice from fewer people, or is it even? Uh, simply cutting some of that out or having it cut out and realize that you've got to get that from within. Yeah, it's really simplifying it. I mean, really, it should be the OC and the quarterback coach. Those three guys are really spending the most of the time together during the week. The head guy comes in and kind of oversees things and makes sure that they're all on the same page and operating from the same page. But simplicity really works well with quarterbacks. I mean, there's some quarterbacks that, you know, would ask for a more complex game plan, but those are few and far between. Now, Drew Brees is like Yeah, that. yeah, and, and there's some other ones Was too. Like but yeah. I, I got to tell you, I mean, the way that Russell Wilson has been most effective, and I used to play defense, so I know what it's like to play against a quarterback that can, you know, there's a threat for them to run and there's a threat for them to throw. It really has you on your heels. It doesn't allow you to tee off, pin your ears back, and then come after him because he, he's going to find a spot and – do what Patrick Mahomes does to everybody. Now, I'm not saying Russell Wilson is Patrick Mahomes, but he can be Patrick Mahomes-esque, if you will, if they allow him to be who he is. Now, last year under Hackett, you're right. They they didn't necessarily coach him in the way they should have coached him, but what they did is they gave him a game plan, and they have had him with these outcome goals instead of process goals. One of the things that I know Russell was taught personally is process goals. Process goals are things you can control 100%. You can't control outcome goals. Don't focus on outcome. You focus on process. And when you focus on process, you know you can control it. Guess what happens with anxiety? It goes down because mm-hmm. you know you can control it. When you can't control something, that's when anxiety goes up. And that's So we don't focus on outcome. There's probably, out of 32 NFL teams, there's probably 26 teams that don't understand what I just said, the difference between process and outcome goals. But if there was professional development ongoing, they would learn these things that have, let me say this, that have nothing to do with football, 
but everything to do with football. And that's funny because I played baseball, and that is part of the mentality of it. Because you can have a good at bat, you can take the pitches you're supposed to take, you can scorch a line drive, and it happens to be right at the left fielder. You did everything right. Yes. Yes. And, and you need to not go back to the dugout and pout and go, I need to, no, you don't need to change anything. Right. That has nothing to do with anything. If that goes six feet the other side, you're still running. Right. Um, so, so in that sport, at least, separating the process from the result yeah. is kind of baked in. Yes. But not so much in football. But it needs to be. It needs to be. Right. When, right. When people, enough people. I mean, if you look at Saban, that's one of his favorite mantras is yeah. process. Trust the process. Be the process. Live the process. Here's the cool thing about process is – it, science backs it. So when we focus on things we can control, anxiety goes down. We're in the parasympathetic. When we focus on things we can't control, anxiety goes up. We're on the sympathetic side. So science tells us that we should be on the parasympathetic side, which is process. But so many people aren't willing enough, Sean, to take just a little bit of time that it takes to learn that little matrix and understand it and how to apply it to football. So I think, you know, John Fox got fired here by John Elway for one reason, because he couldn't delineate why he ran that 50 reduction defense. You know, tell me why. Well, we've always had success. It's always been good for – yeah, but tell me why. Why? The one technique is double teamed, and that forces 10 against 11. Tell me a methodology is why. We have got to get better in pro sports at understanding that we got to educate coaches, players alike – from the neck up and help them understand that it's more than just football. It's process versus outcome. It's sympathetic versus parasympathetic on the autonomic nervous system. When you understand these other variables that influence the way a player plays, then we'll have peak performing players from the neck up and the neck down. I have a feeling that Kyle Shanahan might be one of those few coaches you're talking about. Yep. He and is. he would almost have to be given the reality that his 2023 depth chart at quarterback has Mr. Irrelevant as the starter. Yep. And two guys who were both picked number three overall backing up Mr. Irrelevant. Kyle Shanahan, the last six years, has coached 107 games. He's had six starting quarterbacks. He's had a first-round quarterback starting all of four of those 107 games. Right. And yet, he was very close winning a Super Bowl in 2019, the one year where he had a healthy quarterback, Garoppolo, one year he was healthy from start to finish was 2019, and San Francisco seven minutes away from winning the Super Bowl over Kansas City. They almost made it two other times back to the Super Bowl, and yet they have this crazy quarterback situation where, and we saw it with our own eyes Saturday night, Mr. Irrelevant, is better than two guys who are drafted number three overall. Right. Well, and expected to be superstars. Yeah. You know, I've said here before, my job is to bring competing thoughts and alternative explanations. And I'll say this, you know, I, I'm going to give that credit to, not to Kyle Shanahan necessarily, but I'm going to give that credit to a guy named Adam Peters in that organization because, I agree. you know, I Adam, agree. Adam Peters. It's is, a triple headed organization. Yes. You've got, uh, and not in order of importance necessarily all the time. Shanahan, Lynch, Peters. Yeah, and you know uh, John Lynch, love him. They call him Captain America because he's Mister Perfect. He does. He's got a great marriage. He's got a great family. He, he's Captain America. But you know Adam Peters is a is a genius when it comes to personnel. He understands personnel. He's been offered GM jobs the last three years in a row. 
and um, he's just waiting for the right situation. 49ers keep giving him raises. Keep giving him raises and new titles. But Adam Peters has done a great job at not only understanding how to pick personnel but develop it as long. The coaches definitely are, 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 are part of that process, but we've got to understand it's not just head coaches get the blame or the credit for winning and losing. There's personnel departments, and Adam Peters is one of those, and you know – how I feel about him. He's one of the one of the brightest in the league, and he'll be. You know, Denver had a chance. So Denver, I, you know, Denver. Denver who Denver, knows? Denver may have a chance still have again. A, yeah, you may well, have a chance again. Right? Well, I, I, I'm hoping so because if they do, that you're going to watch this organization turn around almost instantly. He is Dr. Rick Preya. Think one for you.org. The number four, think one, number four, you.org is the website. Uh, check up in the neck up on Mental Health Mondays here. On my life sports, uh, extra little extra segment going overtime. Yes. I love it as it is football season. So it. thanks so much, Doc. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thank you guys for having me. And lots I, of reps today for the good. Right, time. right, right. Lots, lots of rep. Got to get ready for the just, regular season. Just remember, everybody out there, love, trust, and believe in each other, and this world will be a softer, kinder place. Can't go wrong with that advice. We will hear from the Denver Broncos both. John Payton and Russell Wilson spoke after their loss to the 49ers. What did it mean to them? Well, we'll hear about that next on My Life Sports. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.